0: Well, good morning. I am very pleased to be with you today. I uh, know he's not here, Brother Steve, but I wanted to say thanks to him for inviting me, giving me the opportunity. I've got to know him a little bit over the last four months or so, um, taking the seminary class that he taught through the association. So uh, I have nothing but praise for him. He's a wonderful man. I'm very glad to have got to know him and i can I can tell you that he loves this church, he loves you, he loves the Lord, and so uh, you're very blessed uh, to have him here and also brother daryl and so uh, i'm I'm grateful uh to be here uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Nick Greenfield. I'm here with my mom is here, Judy, and uh my wife, Lindsay. We have three beautiful little girls. uh Ruthie will be five in February, Nora is three. And Lucy is about one and a half, and we're expecting a son in April. And so God has, thank you, God has blessed our family very much. Uh, we're those crazy people that still think that children are a blessing. And so uh, we're, we are very uh, happy to be blessed by the Lord. Um, I've been preaching for about eight years. I preach pulpit supply uh, all around different churches. I've, I've been interim pastor uh, at a couple of churches for a period of time, and so I've just been open to the Lord using me however He pleases, and uh, I, I do work bivocationally, so I, I do work full-time at, at Scott Trade. I'm an IT engineer, so uh, I like to solve problems, uh, fix things, but uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you today, and uh, I hope that uh, the message that I have is a blessing for you. Uh, you know, you can tell a lot about a church by how they shake hands. And I was glad to see that you're uh, hand shakers that linger. You linger during your time of, of getting together and shaking hands. So that was wonderful to see. And I enjoyed that. If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're going to be looking at Jesus' high priestly prayer. And this will be a two-part sermon I'll I'll finish up tonight but this morning we're going to look just at verses 1 through 12 in John chapter 17 verses 1 through 12 and it says when Jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, to the preaching of your word this morning, Father. I pray that you would fill this place with your very presence. Lord, that we might come in contact with you today and go away different father that we might be changed by your word so lord i pray that as this message is preached would you pour your spirit out on us would you be our teacher this morning father would you please speak to us through your word it's in jesus name that we pray amen well jesus was a man of much prayer Uh, we're told at least 25 times in the New Testament that Jesus prayed. Sometimes he went away by himself to pray. Mark 1.35 tells us, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So Jesus took time to get away by himself. Uh, to go to a place where he was alone to be recharged and re-energized through his private prayer and fellowship with the Father. Sometimes he prayed publicly. Luke chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so in this instance, John the Baptist is baptizing and and Jesus comes and he himself is baptized and Jesus begins praying and the heavens are open and the Spirit of God descends upon him and the Father declares his pleasure with the Son. So Jesus prayed privately, he, he prayed publicly, and he certainly made it a point to teach us how to pray, to teach his followers how to pray, as we have in Luke chapter 11, that passage we know as the Lord's Prayer. So it's very clear that Jesus was a man of much prayer. And Jesus' prayer life is an example for us. There is much to be learned from Jesus' prayers. They give us a lovely picture of the intimate fellowship between the Father and the Son. They show us the heart of Jesus as He often prayed uh, prayers of intercession for His beloved followers. Intercession is just praying on someone else's behalf. And that's what Jesus did for His followers and for us. In a world that is filled with such chaos and destruction, such pain and suffering and sinful temptation at every turn that we face, we need now maybe more than ever sincere, committed, and intimate prayer with the Father. Don't we? In a culture that becomes more and more lonely and isolated every day, thanks in part to the very technology that is supposed to unite us, it's now more than ever that we need to see what true fellowship and true relationship looks like. And we see that with Jesus and the Father. Prayer is all about relationship to the Father. And in an age of broken and hurting relationships, we need to look to Jesus to get a glimpse of His perfect relationship to the Father, which in turn will give us hope for our relationship to the Father and for our relationship with each other. The prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 is very unique. It's perhaps one of the most intimate of prayers recorded in the Scriptures. And this prayer comes out of a very urgent and pressing concern that Jesus has for His disciples. Here in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus is with His disciples in the upper room. It's kind of this final teaching session that that Jesus has with His uh, 11 faithful disciples before He heads to the cross. Everything that you read in John chapters 13 through 17 all take place in the upper room. This final teaching session. Uh, Jesus had already washed the disciples' feet, teaching them the significance of serving each other. He had already sent away Judas who was to betray Him. He had, uh, Now He's just meeting together with these 11 faithful disciples and, and Jesus opens up and He pours His heart out to them in this final teaching session. It's a very intimate setting. He knows that He's about to be arrested just really moments after this. And like a father who's giving some final advice to his children, he is encouraging and instructing his followers. And once he's done, he finishes with a prayer for them, and that's what this prayer is. That's what John 17 is. We call this the high priestly prayer of Jesus because it's a prayer of intercession. Because he, like a priest, is interceding on behalf of his followers to the Father. Verse 9 confirms this. If you'll look again, it says, I am praying for them. Talking about His followers. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And so this prayer is a very special prayer only for believers in Christ. A very special prayer for His followers. It's a privilege of intercession that only the disciples of Christ can enjoy. It's really something to be joyful about to know that Jesus cared so much about us that He prays for us, that He intercedes for us. And and He didn't stop here, but Hebrews tells us that He always lives to make intercession for us. It's just something that Jesus does because He loves us. He intercedes on our behalf to the Father. He does it because His children are special to Him. And that includes us this morning. So then there are, are really two questions that I would like to try to answer from the text this morning, from this prayer. The first is this, what does Jesus' prayer teach us about His relationship to the Father and our relationship to the Father? What does this prayer teach us about Jesus' relationship to the Father and our relationship to the Father? Well, I think the first thing this prayer teaches us uh, about God and, and how Jesus relates to the Father is that God is zealous for His glory, and so was Jesus, and we should be too. Look again in verses 1-5 through again, and pay specific attention to how many times He mentions glory, or being glorified. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You for His glory. And, and, and Jesus was zealous for the Father's glory. The Bible teaches us that our ultimate goal in this life is to bring glory to God. It's what we were created for. The Bible uh, tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7. He says, Everyone who is called by My name, whom I created for My glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for His glory to give Him glory. And he continues on in Isaiah 43, verse 21, he says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. God created us for Himself to be His own special people, that we might declare His praise. So it's very clear in the Scriptures that God is concerned for His glory. And it's clear that our chief purpose in this life is to exalt Him and to glorify His name. It's why we were created, Isaiah tells us. But I think sometimes that living in the culture that we live in, which is so man-centered, uh, so very centered on ourselves, that we forget that life isn't about us, it's about Him, isn't it? God has been very gracious to us. He has forgiven our sin, bearing it in His own body on that cross Rather than destroy us, He has shown us mercy and He has done all of this so that we might bring glory to Him. That we might repent from our sins and believe in Him and glorify His name. That's what Jesus is concerned with also in verse 1 when He says, glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You. Do you see that exchange? That should be our aim. God, bless me, not so... I can sit back and just soak it in and and think about how wonderful I am, but so that I may in return bless you and declare how wonderful you are. That was Jesus' attitude. It's it's an attitude of self-denial which leads to God exaltation. And by the way, this is why our sin is such a big deal. This is why our sin is so offensive to God, because when we sin, instead of bringing glory to our Creator which again is the primary thing we were created for, when we sin, we bring shame to him. When we sin, instead of exalting God, we are exalting ourselves. Instead of singing God's praises, sin tells us to sing our own praises. Sin twists our minds around and it tells us that this life is all about our pleasure, about our glory. Our desires, our wants, us, 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 me, me, me. But the reality is that life is about Him, Him, Him. His glory, His desires, His pleasure, His wants. And when we deny ourselves and glorify and exalt God, then we are fulfilling the purpose that He has for our lives. And not only that, but when we're glorifying Him and we're exalting Him, He then in turn shares His glory with us. He allows us to experience His glory. He allows us to see Him through the eye of faith. Remember, He draws near to the brokenhearted. He draws near to the humble, but He resists the proud. This world was meant from the very beginning to bring glory to God. Reminded of Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6. Speaking of God's glory, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Think about that for a moment. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Can you imagine being there in that place? In the temple and seeing the Lord high and lifted up on His throne. What a glorious, glorious vision. And that's what Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. That speaks to His glory. His glory filled the temple. And it was the glory that you could feel that Shekinah glory of God, His very presence that you can feel like a radiant warmth all around you. That is God's plan for the world. That is what sin has caused us to miss out on. God's glory radiating throughout the entire world. But that's His plan for those who believe in Him to see Him in the new heaven and in the new earth high and lifted up and blazing in His glory when He restores all things to how they should be. Isaiah continues in verse 3 to tell us of the song that we might perhaps sing one day. He says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Again, that is the goal. For the whole earth to be full of the glory of God and for everyone to be singing of His holiness. That's the goal for all eternity. To live in a place where His glory fills the earth. But instead on this earth for a short while, sin has cast a shadow on God's glory. Sin has uh, brought disgrace. Sin has brought shame onto God's glory because we are created in His image and we have sinned. We have exalted ourselves and we've glorified ourselves rather than exalt and glorify Him. But God worked out a solution. God worked out a solution for the problem of our sin. In Isaiah 48, 9-11, he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I might not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. This is the picture that Jesus is giving us in His prayer. He's about to go to the cross to defeat sin once for all and accomplishing eternal life for all who believe in Him. And not only that, but removing the stain that our sin has cast upon God's glory. Jesus was concerned for the Father's glory and His death on the cross not only gave us hope of eternal life, which it very much did, but it also brought vindication for the worth of God's glory which He has accomplished for His name's sake. For His name's sake, He has shown us mercy. For His name's sake, He has tried us and refined us, He says. He will not share His glory with another. He will not allow His name to be profaned. Because of Jesus, our attempts through our sin to rob God of His glory and profane His name by our own self-exalting have been forgiven. They've been removed. Because of Jesus, we can now have eternal life. Because of Jesus, we can now offer our praises to Him, imperfect as they may be, and yet God accepts them and He delights in them. Because of Jesus, it's possible for us to deny ourselves and exalt the father and i love what verses two and three tell us about eternal life again in verse two he says since you have given him he's talking about himself jesus is talking about himself you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him keep in mind jesus is the only one with the authority to give eternal life He is the only one who can make you that promise. He is the only one who can take sin away. No one else ever died on a cross for our sins. It's only Jesus and He is the only way. He's the only one with the authority over life and death. Authority given to Him by the Father. And then in verse 3, I love what He says about eternal life. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. Don't miss that. That they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I think sometimes when we think about eternal life, we automatically associate it with heaven, don't we? I know I do. When I think of eternal life, I I automatically picture heaven. That's just what comes to my mind when I think about eternal life. But the truth is, when he's talking about eternal life, he's not just talking about heaven. I think sometimes we maybe get a little bit selfish when we think about heaven and we think boy I'd really like to be there because there's not going to be any more pain there's not going to be any more sorrow there's not going to be any more death we're going to receive a reward we're going to receive a mansion and all of those are wonderful things but the primary reward of eternal life is not what we will receive when we get to heaven it's who It's who we get to know even now in this life. Not once we get to heaven, but right now. It's who we get to know. Jesus tells us that eternal life is that we get to know God. That's what He says in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God. That is the reward. Forgiveness of sin is not necessarily the prize. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing and a blessing. God Himself is the prize. He is the ultimate prize. The most wonderful blessing we can ever experience is that God has allowed us to know Him. He has revealed Himself to us in Christ and through His Word. And not only that, but He's initiated a relationship with us. He has drawn us to Himself. He has given us His Spirit to live inside of us. He has given us His truth, the Bible. If all we ever do is just sit around and look out the window and and wait until we go to heaven, then we're missing it. We're missing the point. If we don't like spending time with the Father now, then we're probably not going to like being in heaven. I'm just going to throw that out there. If you don't like to spend time with the Father now, why would you like to spend time with Him in heaven? You see, God Himself is is our prize. He is our most cherished reward. He is the purpose of eternal life he is who we get to know now today jesus makes that abundantly clear in his prayer jesus sought to bring glory to the father and so should we by exalting him as the highest god who reigns over all of creation and by clinging to him as our most treasured our most desired our highest gift from heaven he is all of that to us I don't know about you, but some days I absolutely ache to see that vision of God that Isaiah saw. To see God in His rightful place, on His throne, blazing in His glory. I don't know about you, but just that picture is enough to get me through some of the worst of times. To know that one of these days, everything's going to be restored Everything's going to be how it should. God is going to be on His throne. He's going to be blazing in His glory and we'll be there on our faces worshiping Him. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. God knows that the greatest gift He could ever give to us is Himself. It's not money. It's not even health. It's not success. Those things are great but not the greatest thing, the greatest gift that God could ever give to us is Himself. The greatest purpose that we can ever accomplish is to sing back His praise and exalt and glorify Him. God is very zealous for His glory. Not only that, but I believe this passage also teaches us that God cares for the well-being of His children. Look again in verses 6 through 12. He says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. That's us. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. which You have given Me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. God cares for the well-being of His children. The way that Jesus talks about us, His followers, in this prayer, is the way that any father would talk lovingly and cherishingly about his own children. Despite our sin, God really does love us. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's, it's hard for me to let that thought sink in that God really does love me. He really does love you, even though we're imperfect. Even though our fellowship is at times half-hearted and our pra- praise is broken and our prayers are interrupted by other thoughts. Despite all of that, He really does love us, and He cherishes us. He is our ultimate prize and our most cherished gift. And in return, we are His ultimate prize and most cherished gift. I think about my wedding day. You know, a bride and groom in the Bible speak to Jesus as the groom and the church as His bride. And men, you can probably relate to this if you've been married. But when I was standing at the altar and watching my bride come down the aisle, my eyes were locked on her. There was nothing in this world that I cared anything about except for my bride in that moment. That is how God feels about us. He desires us. He loves us. He wants fellowship with us. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light as the church that Jesus Himself is building, He says that we are a chosen, a special, a royal, a holy, prized possession to God. That's what He thinks about us. God's desire for us to know Him was fulfilled in Christ revealing the Father to us when He became a baby on that very first Christmas and He put on flesh and He lived amongst us. And now notice... How Jesus is reporting in on the success of His mission to this point in His ministry. How He has fulfilled His ministry and now all that's left is for Him to go to the cross. But notice, he says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. It's almost like you can see a checklist of the things Jesus came to do. In verse 6, okay, I manifested your name to the people you gave me. Check. Uh, Verse 7, they know everything you have given me is from you. Check. Verse 8, I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. That's a big check. Even down to verse 12, While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Check. Jesus has accomplished His mission. He has accomplished His ministry. We get an idea here about what is important to the Father based on what Jesus says in His prayer. It was important to the Father that His name be manifest to His people. That's verse 6. It was important to the Father that we understand that the blessing from the Son is the blessing from the Father. That's verse 7. It was important to the Father that we believe His Word and that we believe His Son, that we believe the truth. That's verse 8. It was important to the Father that we be kept, that we be guarded and protected, and that's what Jesus did, that our salvation be secure. That's verse 12. Jesus came to build His church and to bring the people who God gave Him into a relationship with the Father. And He succeeded in that. And Jesus understands that He's about to go and and He's about to die on the cross and and leave the disciples alone. And So He lifts them up and gives them over to God. He has kept them. He has uh, guarded them. And now He gives them over to the Father. And of course we know He will send His Spirit to come and dwell us, to be with us. But this prayer teaches us that God is a God of relationship. That He cares about us. That He's a God of community and He seeks to have community with us. He seeks relationship with us. Jesus came to bring us into relationship with the Father. And even now, He calls us into relationship with the Father and into community and relationship with each other, into fellowship. He gives us His Word. He makes known the Father to us and He keeps us in relationship to the Father. And then He intercedes for us on our behalf. God desires this relationship with us and Jesus came to make it possible. God knows that the best thing for us is to be in relationship with Him. Apart from Him, there is no hope. There is no satisfaction that the world can offer. Everything that the world offers is a lie. There is no joy in sin. There is only pain and sorrow and despair apart from Christ. God desires so much more for His children, and He has given us so much more in Christ. So we know that this prayer teaches us that God is zealous for His glory and that God really cares about the well-being of His children. But now let's look at the second question uh, quickly as we come to a close. What is the application for us? What does that mean for us in the year 2015? How do we respond to that type of love for us? Well, for starters, I think that this prayer... uh, tells us that we should absolutely ache for our relationship to the Father. Like Jesus, we should seek to have that intimate relationship. Our greatest desire should be to glorify and exalt our God. It should overshadow everything else in our lives. We should have a burning desire to know Him. We should have a burning desire to sing His praises. We should have a burning desire to make Him known to others, to spread the gospel. We should declare as the psalmist does, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Do you have that fire in your heart this morning? Do you long to see God exalted and glorified and in His rightful place on the throne? I think that we've been duped by this generation of prosperity preachers who have told us that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and, and, and wise, and have all the money we have, and that's what God wants for us. But the truth is, and listen to this, the truth is, God gives us Himself so that we don't need health, wealth, and prosperity. Did you catch that? We don't need health, wealth, and prosperity because God has given us Himself, and He is enough. That means that you and I can live our lives in total contentment and satisfaction in Christ even if we're poor. We can have satisfaction in the Father even if we're sick. Even if we face disappointment in life and tragedy and heartbreak, we can always go back to the fact that we have God and He is our most cherished reward. So when you get the phone call that tragedy has happened, You can take it to the Father, and He cares. When you find out that the diagnosis is bad, maybe worse than you thought, you can take it to the Father and let Him carry the burden for you. This world is fading away. We shouldn't cling too tightly to anything here. Instead, we need to cling tightly to the Father and long for what is to come, which is an eternity spent in His presence, worshiping Him as His glory fills the whole earth. So we need to take an inventory of our lives and of our desires. Are we giving God the rightful place in our lives? Are we seeking His glory or our own glory? Do we desire Him, or are we allowing the lesser things of this world to take His place in our lives? I like this quote from C.S. Lewis regarding our desire. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased let's stop playing around with the mud pies that this world has to offer and let's start seeing what an in- intimate relationship with Christ offers which is unspeakable joy and complete satisfaction You will never be happy living half-hearted for Jesus. And God is not pleased with half-hearted fellowship. Remember that God is a loving Father. And we are His children. And I don't know about you, uh, but I couldn't imagine anything worse than knowing that my children didn't love me back like I loved them. Just the other day, I asked Ruthie, she's our oldest, I said, baby, do you love Daddy? Daddy? She says, yes, but I love mommy more. Kids are always honest. But the point is, as a father, I crave the love of my children. Don't you dads? Don't you just crave the love of your children? And in the same way, God desires our affections and our attention because we are his children. So give Him your affection. Give Him your attention and see in what great ways an intimate relationship with Him changes your life for a better. Be an instrument for God to use for His glory. Do you know Him today? I'm not asking if you regularly attend church or or if you've heard the Gospel or if you have read the Bible. I mean, do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you know the Father? Jesus made a way for you to know Him by the blood of His cross to forgive you of all of your sin, to turn you from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Repent from your sin. Turn away from it. Confess it. Cast it away from you and call out to Jesus in faith for His saving power and He will cleanse you. You will be saved. Make Him your Lord and you will become part of His family. Or maybe you're here this morning and you do know God. But you've chased after the things of the world expecting them to fulfill you. They won't. They'll never fulfill you. Turn from them. Turn back to Him. Humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. He's a gracious God. He is a forgiving God and He will receive you today if you trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the work that Jesus came to do on the cross, Lord, when He laid His life down for us. No greater love is there than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Father, You demonstrated Your great love for us when Your Son died on that cruel cross in humiliation. For us, Thank You, Lord. I pray that, Father, You would help help us reduce all of the noise in our lives. All of the things which are screaming for our attention but have no eternal weight. Father, help us to focus on You. Help us to cherish and desire You. Help us to find our our joy and our contentment and our satisfaction only in You through Your Son. Thank You, Lord, for calling us into relationship with Yourself. Thank You for providing a way. Help us to confess. Help us to surrender. Help us to turn from the world and follow Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. We're going to Sing, uh, I believe it's hymn 298, I'll live for him. Whatever the Lord is laying on your heart, you have an opportunity to, re- to respond uh, at this altar, uh, to respond to whatever he is calling you to do.